Welcome to INTC, the podcast. This is your host, Christina Perez. With a strong belief in the power of storytelling and a drive to encourage self-reflection and personal development, this podcast is for sharing my stories and the stories of other women and to discuss what it means to be a modern woman and mother in an era of changing social norms and worldviews. All right. Good morning or afternoon or evening for wherever our listeners are. Um, it's Christina, host of the INTC podcast, and I'm very excited to start my morning off with Madeline Thibodeau. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Christina. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing great. All right. I'll give you a little bit of an introduction and then um, I'll let you take it from there. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so Madeline is a musician. She's a mom of two. She runs her own uh, kinder music practice and she homeschools her kids and she's just all around a really great um, and warm person. Um, and that's as much as I'm going to give you because I want to make sure she gives you all the right details. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, thank you. That was such a sweet introduction. Um, yes, my name is Madeline. I have two kids. My um, son, Sebastian, we call him Sebi, is seven. My daughter, Marion, is three. And we have been homeschooling since the beginning, um, meaning my kids have never gone to school or preschool or anything. Um, and I am also a kinder music educator. I've been teaching kinder music for almost 10 years now, this, this wow. May, actually. Yeah, this, yeah, I know it's hard to believe, but yeah, this May is my 10th anniversary of teaching kinder music. And so, congratulations! thank you. Um, it's a little bittersweet, though, because, of course, I had been planning to do a huge party to awesome. celebrate my 10th anniversary of teaching kinder music and obviously that's not going to happen so I'm, I'm definitely um grieving the loss of that a little bit but trying to figure out alternative ways to celebrate because it, it is a milestone it's and a I'm really milestone yeah I'm really excited and just proud of the fact that I've been doing this for 10 years and it's something that is so much more than a job it's so much more than just you know the work that I do it definitely is um a calling and a passion. And so I feel very fortunate that I am able to make a living doing something that I feel so passionately about and am able to share with some really beautiful families like yourself. I know. And your, we've been, and your wonderful Oscar. We've been so excited for um, these virtual kinder music classes because um, not that COVID's a good thing or anything, but it has opened up some accessibility doors, if you will. Um, absolutely, absolutely. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, actually. Um, and I'm sure we'll go into more details about that as we continue our conversation. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what kinder music is for anyone who's listening and has no idea what we're talking about? Sure, absolutely. So kinder music is a music and movement program for early childhood. That's it in a nutshell. Um, but our goal and our primary focus is on whole child development. And so we utilize a process-based class as opposed to a performance-based class. We're not concerned with outcomes in terms of learning to read music or learning to perform at a certain level that's not our that's not our goal that's not our primary focus we utilize music as 
the means as the vehicle for whole child development. So we are concerned with cognitive development, physical development, development of social skills, de development of fine motor and gross motor skills, um, even things like language development and early math learning, things like that. Everything is involved in our classes and music is the perfect vehicle for all of that because music has been proven to scientifically to affect every single area of the brain. And so music really is the perfect vehicle for whole child development. Um, and how old, cause I saw that you have some older kids and I didn't realize, I think that it went, um, like past, I guess, a kindergarten age. Mm -hmm. So how old can the kids still be in kinder music? Um, well, it doesn't go much past kindergarten. They age out at the end of first grade. So um, my son, Sebi, who's seven, is just finishing up his first grade year, and he's actually about to graduate from kinder music. Aww. And then, um, yeah, I know. So that's a little milestone along with my 10th anniversary is that my uh, older kid is going to be finished with his um, womb through first grade kinder music experience. <laughs> He really has been doing it as since he was in your womb. Yes, he, he has been he has been participating in kinder music. I mean, it really and I say that jokingly, but the truth is that babies that are in the womb at I think either 14 or 16 weeks can hear. And so your your hearing is developed from that early on. So really he has been participating in kinder music for that long. And of course, all of the movement and everything that affects them in the womb as well. So um, yes, literally he's been going for his entire life. Um, but yeah, so kinder music goes through first grade and it starts at birth. We have a foundations class, which is for all pre-walking babies. And so you can come to our classes from as early on as you want. Most most parents wait until about like four to six months to start, which makes sense. You wanna make sure your kid has some immunities and vaccines and stuff. Although now that we're doing virtual classes, even I that know. is not as much of a um, concern anymore. So you can bring them as early as you want because you're doing it from the safety of your own home. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it because my both my hands are free and my son loves the screen like loves yeah. a screen and so he lo and loves music so he's totally entranced with what's going on on the screen and with you and I leave like the gallery view up so he can see the other families and the other kids and um he is all about it and I don't think that it's a coincidence that since we started doing these classes like five six days a week um, at home, like uh, this, you know, sort of schedule where I can implement all these things we're working on in therapy, but like kind of sneaky mm -hmm. way. Cause he doesn't think it's therapy. And this week he took his first like crawl. Oh my gosh. I know. I saw that on your Instagram and I, I was kind of thinking that I was like, oh, that's interesting. But of course I wasn't going to say anything, but that is so amazing to hear. I mean, I think that that really is the power of music and the power of our kinder music classes is that, like you said, you can like sneak in the therapy. He doesn't think of it as therapy. To him, he's just, just playing. Yeah, he's just playing and having fun. And 
um, for all children, that's the beauty of it. They, from their perspective, they're just playing and having fun and they don't realize mm -hmm. how much they're getting out of it. You know, we, as the grownups, as the parents and the teachers, we can see, oh my gosh, how much learning is going on and how much development is going on. But from their perspective, they're just having a ball. It's just fun. Yeah. They're just yeah. having a ball. And like, for me, it's, um, 30 minutes of activities that I don't have to come up with. Right. <laughs> I just click on the link and let you take the lead. And that like in and of itself is amazing. Right. And as a former music therapy grad, it's, it's like all coming full circle. And I haven't done anything with music therapy. Like since we graduated in 2009, Madeline was um, at the same college as I was. And, um, I uh, went, took like the performance route and did all that. But it's funny how my music therapy background has still been permeating into my life in raising my son, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and music is totally like, we used to talk about music as therapy and music in therapy. And it's, it's definitely more like the music in therapy. Well, it's a little bit of both because yeah. you're, using like physically using instruments and tapping and making sounds and this and that um and that's music as therapy but when it's playing in the background and we're working on rolling or jumping or highs and lows like it's just it, it it's so good for him it's so good for him because I can't put him in a group setting or or whatever and like I was telling you after class one day like as far as schooling goes you know they're telling us to not put him in class until he's five or six and he's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, ah, like everything, I feel like everything is on me yeah. and I, I feel ill-equipped. And you were like, why? No, <laughs> <laughs> I really just do. Like, I feel like I, and maybe that's like a mom, like a, you know, mom guilt thing. We think that the Royal, we think that we're not supposed to do all the things, you know, or like, I feel even when I took, took, um, my son home from the NICU, I was like, why are they handing him to me? Like, I am so not equipped for this. You right. Know? Right. And well, to be honest, Christina, not to cut you off, sorry, but yeah, to be no, honest, I, even with my babies who spent no time in the NICU, I felt the same way too, <laughs> taking them home. I was like, you can't, <laughs> you can't give me this thing. I don't know what to do with it. I'm, yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I think that's a very, very normal reaction <laughs> to parenting is like, I have no qualifications. Yeah. I've never done any training on this. I don't know exactly. what I'm doing. Yeah. That's and normal. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing as far as like teaching and um, I know my conversations with you have always been very helpful and, um, oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Well, also I didn't know that in Louisiana, you didn't have to be enrolled in school until you were seven. Is that, yeah. is that right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that blew my mind. And I was like, Oh, okay. Right. Which made me feel a little bit better about like the whole school process, which it doesn't even apply really because for him to get his therapies, he has to be enrolled in the school system. So it's, okay. it's like he's in the school system, but not going to class, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I have been, and me and my husband have been kind of here and there talking about homeschooling um, because of 
So we've lived in three different states in the past few years because of his clerkships. And so we've had a little bit of a taste of the school system and Medicaid and all that in Birmingham, um, in New Orleans, obviously, in Washington, D.C. And well, Chris went to Cheyenne, Wyoming by himself. Um, so we didn't really have that experience there. But um, overall, we're kind of like, wow, we've gotten to see a lot about you know, accessibility, inclusivity, this and that. And, and even within like the disability community, there's this, you know, the, the argument of is inclusion really better? Right. You know, and I don't know the answer to that. And I don't think there is a one size fits all answer to that. Right. I would love to pick your brain a bit about homeschooling right now, because I think a lot of parents are finding themselves in this boat, whether they have kids that are like, you know, older and in middle school, high school, whatever. And then also younger kids. And I don't know what's going to happen in the fall if schools are going to open up and, and whatnot. So could you kind of maybe lead in with your like whole philosophy behind teaching at home and, and how you do that and why you started getting into, or why you decided to go that route? Sure. I would love to. I have so many thoughts about everything that's going on in terms of the quarantine and pushing parents suddenly into homeschooling. Um, I have a lot that I can speak on about that. Um, and just real quick, before I go into my own philosophies about um, home education and everything, I just want to say this out there for anyone who's listening, who has recently been pushed into homeschooling. I see you guys. I see what you're doing. And it is really, really hard especially if you're trying to work from home. If your life pre-COVID was dropping your kids off at school, going to a job, picking them up from aftercare, going home and making dinner, this, what you're doing now is a complete shift. Mm. And it's incredible to watch how people are having to shift so much. And I know that what a lot of people are doing is having to keep up with distance learning. Um, from the school that their kids are enrolled in, and it involves a lot of um, Zoom meetings and keeping up with assignments online and a lot of communication back and forth with the school. And so one thing I want to say about that is that what I see my friends who are doing this with their kids is that is way harder than what we have been doing for actual homeschooling for the past two years. So what I'm, what I'm kind of thinking about in terms of if schools are still closed in the fall, I would love to hear if parents are open to the idea of actually pulling their kids out of school for the next year and just doing regular homeschooling. Because regular homeschooling, the way that I've been doing it and the way that my homeschooling friends do it is so much less stressful than what I'm seeing my friends having to deal with now. So just to put that in people's ears as a little, um, a little, you know, something to chew on over the summer. Yeah. Um, but my, so you asked about my um, home education philosophy and really the way, the only way I can condense it down is to say that you got to do what works for your kid. And I know that sometimes that's really frustrating to hear because people want to hear like, here's what works, but right. it's going to be magically great. Um, but the problem is that your child is a human. Your child is a, an actual full human being with all of the uniqueness that that entails. And not only is your child a human, you're a human and you have your own unique 
set of talents and weaknesses and strengths. And so um, you have to be willing to change and adapt and grow into it and allow your child to grow into it. What I have found works best for my family, at least right now, um, is that we focus on the skill areas. So for example, reading, learning to read, learning to write, handwriting and things like that, mechanics of writing, um, math skills, and of course music. <laughs> we do music every day. Those are the four things that we like actively do every single day. And it probably takes less than an hour total to hit all of those things. Having my son, and he actually is learning to read and write in English and Spanish. And even with him learning both languages and doing math and doing music every day, probably less than an hour of actual active, like focused one-on-one -on -one time with him. And then the rest of like his day, so like, hour? what's that? Like a consecutive hour or is that? Spread? It depends on the day. I mean, it really, especially now that we have so much more time where we're just at home, it'll be like, hey, you know, why don't you read a book to me in Spanish and then we'll have a snack and then you can read a book to me in English and then we'll go play outside, you know? So yeah. we, we just kind of fit it in, but I do kind of have that little checklist in my head of like, okay, he needs to read to me in English. He needs to read to me in Spanish. We need to do writing. You know, I have that in my head, but if it doesn't happen all at once, that's fine. You know, there's no yeah. rule that says it has to ha happen at a certain time or whatever. Um, and then the other things that you might consider like the subject areas in school, like science and social studies and history and um, subjects like that, I don't even really keep track of that. I mean, first of all, my son is only seven, he's in first grade. Um, and so I don't really keep track of that, but he does, when I sit back and kind of pull myself away and look at it from a bird's eye view, I realize he's doing all of those things all the time. And because he's just a really curious kid, he's mm -hmm. constantly doing science. I mean, his whole day is science. And he's always making up inventions and he's always doing little experiments and things like that. So if I were to like go through and write a list of everything, it would probably look pretty impressive actually. Yeah, and people would be like, wow, Madeline, you did all of that really amazing stuff. And I'd be like, no, I didn't. My kid did. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. Um, so he does a lot of science on his own. We also read. And I mean, if you have a house that's full of books, you're good. Yeah, you're, you know, you're good. And, and if you, you know, actively model reading and sitting down to read with your kid, then they are going to be a reader. I firmly, firmly believe that. And my, um, my kids love to read. And now that my older, my son is starting to learn how to read on his own, the younger one, my daughter is starting to model that behavior. And so she'll go over and pick out a book and just sit on the couch and flip through it while he's sitting there reading to himself. And it's really gratifying. It's That's really, really sweet. Easy. It's so sweet. And it's like those little moments where I'm like, okay, something's working. This is actually, this is actually working. And she, yeah. she did the funniest thing yesterday. Sebby was reading to me and she leaned over and started pointing at the letters. And she was like, okay, so that one's an O and that one's the same as this one. And Sebby and I just cracked up laughing because she was she was trying to do what I was doing. <laughs> she was right. taking on the role of the teacher. And so, I mean, really that, not to be too super tangential, but that is actually another wonderful benefit that I've seen of homeschooling is the relationship between my kids that they have since they end their whole day together 
is that they have all these little inside jokes with each other and they have this really beautiful relationship that's starting to blossom. So um, anyway, so my homeschooling philosophy, I am very, very into the idea of self-directed learning. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm teaching him the skills that he's going to need. He's going to have to know how to read. He's going to have to know how to do math. Um, but once he can do those things, it's really up to him. What is he interested in? What are the things that are driving him from within? What are the things that he's passionate about? Because let's be honest, how much of the U.S. history that I learned in fourth grade do I remember? Exactly none of it. Right. Literally, literally zero. So I'm not super concerned with shoving facts into his head. Mm -hmm. um, that if it's something that he's interested in, he will learn those facts. Like he could tell you every single dinosaur that ever existed. And he could tell you what, whether they were an herbivore or a carnivore and whether they lived in the Jurassic or the Cretaceous. And he, like, he can rattle off those facts yes. because he's interested in them. Right. Right. And so he's done a ton of reading and watching videos and just immersing himself in the world of dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if he's not interested in that, it's not going to stick. So I'm really, I'm really interested in um, self, self-directed learning, learning through passions, um, and being patient and waiting to see what those passions might be. Because again, going back to my first point, your child is a human. And sometimes we don't know what our passions are right off the bat. You know, I'm, I'm in my thirties and I'm still discovering things that I'm interested in and passionate about. So it's a, it's a process mm -hmm. and learning to sit with the process and be okay. Space. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Leaving space and being okay with things not being finished is a huge part of it. So on that, is there, like, let's say I'm going to start officially homeschooling Oscar. Mm -hmm. Like, is there a way to do that? Is there like a website you have to do with like the Louisiana Department of Education? Are there, is there paperwork that has to be done? Is there like lists that have to be checked off of what's been accomplished or milestones you're supposed to hit? But how does that work? I can't speak to other states, but for Louisiana, the restrictions, the um, not restrictions, the rules are very easy. Like embarrassingly easy <laughs> too easy in fact in louisiana in order to be um a compliant homeschooler well there's two routes so you can either take the um i can't remember the exact terms i think one of them is called home study and that's where you're actually technically enrolled in a school but you're just using their curriculum at home and that's not what we do. So I, I can't really speak much more to that because I don't have any experience with that. But it's all it's all available on the Department of Education website. The other route, um, I don't even know what the other one is called. <laughs> but I'm sorry, this is not helpful. Um, but the other route that you can take is all literally all you have to do is once a year you go onto the Department of Education website and you register the name of your homeschool and the children that are attending it. And then, and it takes about five minutes or less. You fill in all your info with your address and the names and ages of the kids that are attending your homeschool, which are your children. Mm -hmm. And then um, you submit it 
and you get an email back from the Department of Education with a letter on their letterhead that says a PDF of the letter that says you're homeschooling and that this is the name and that's it. And now you're in compliance for the entire school year. And there are no checklists. There's no um, portfolios that I have to submit. Uh, now different states are different. My sister homeschooled in Maryland and she had to submit a portfolio every year of the work that her kids were doing. And I know other states are even more stringent about that. But for Louisiana, it's incredible in terms of the um, state requirements. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's almost too easy. It's, it's yeah. like, like, you know, for people who are well-intentioned and, you know, are really going to do a good job because they're self-motivated to do a good job, it's actually lovely to have such little requirements. Um, but I can see how for a segment of the population that might not be so, quite so well-intentioned, that could actually be problematic to have right. such, such um, minimal requirements. So do kids go to other parents' homeschools? Like, let's say this whole COVID thing is over in a few months, we're not social distancing anymore. And I said, hey, Madeline, <laughs> I think Oscar would really benefit from your homeschooling. Do what does that look like? Like, do people, I guess, combine their their kids um, under like you're saying the name of a homeschool is like your home, right? But what if Oscar like went to your house for a few hours a day? Is that a thing or? Um, yeah, absolutely. That can definitely be a thing. People, um, lots of homeschoolers create co-ops and they, you know, and it can be structured however you like. A lot of co-ops will have, you know, one mom will teach um, English, another mom will teach math, another mom will teach music or whatever. Um, but really it can be structured however you like and there's no requirements for that. And so I, I didn't, I'm not sure in terms of the legal guidelines, whether you would have to register your own homeschool and then you and I would just have our own arrangement if we were to do something like that, or if he would register under mine. I actually don't know. That's a really good question, but I know that it's possible because I know, I know people definitely do that. Yeah. For the record, I'm not formally asking. <laughs> well, no, it's actually, I mean, it's interesting <laughs> that you brought that up because that's actually an idea that has popped into my head over the past, like, five days. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. No, very recently this idea kind of came into my head about if the schools are not opening back up in the fall, mm -hmm. I can think of lots of people who have full-time jobs or for whatever reason um, do not want to take on the burden of their child's education or they don't have time for it or it's too stressful or whatever. And I could raise my hand and say, Hey, I'm doing it already. Yeah. You know, come, come drop them off for a few hours. Um, and I'll work with them on, you know, the skills and things like that. And of course this would have, you know, this is requiring that we're allowed to gather in slightly right. larger groups and, you know, making sure we're all healthy and you know, taking the proper precautions and everything. But that's definitely something that I have been kind of rolling around in my head. Yeah. I, um, when Oscar was younger, I had this dream. Well, okay. So when we lived in Birmingham, um, there was this program there called, uh, United Ability. And they had a, uh, 
a daycare. Well, it wasn't a daycare. It was an early learning program. It was more of a school. It was a huge facility, state of the art. Um, and it was inclusive in the sense that <clears throat> there were, um, they had spots for like three to four children with disabilities in each classroom. Um, and the reason they have, you know, so many spots is because they need to have, um, I guess, according to like the state and just safety stuff, like have uh, medical personnel and, you know, assist assistance in the classroom to help with the children with physical disabilities who need help moving anywhere. Mm -hmm. And with like, in my son's case, the feeding tube and stuff like that. But he, he went for a little bit and it was such a popular program. There was a waiting list and we had to wait. And then the only spot we could get was like two days a week. And I was like, we'll do it. And I know he loved it. And he had, he was surrounded by, you know, friends, but that was part of the problem was that, um, his, he just wasn't strong enough and he would get so sick from, right. from that. So we had to pull him out. But at the end of the day, I was like, why don't I see this more often? You know, yeah. am I just, am I just not aware of it? Or is it just like, this daycare unicorn, you know, <laughs> where there's like, you know, children of all abilities and, and whatnot, like just living and learning in the same classroom and not, not knowing any different, you know, right. that, like people are just different period. And so me being the person that I am, I was like, I'm going to start my own <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of um special needs moms end up going through that phase um and it's it's something I would love to do it's just not practical um with my son's health needs or whatever but it's still like this dream of mine to at least see that in our community this like early learning program of children of all abilities and it's like inclusive and accessible from like the moment you park until right. you leave, you know, that sounds beautiful. That, that would be incredible to see. I don't think I've never heard of anything around here yeah. in new Orleans. I've never heard of anything like that. Um, I mean, the, you know, Louisiana is not a rich state, <laughs> right? So that probably has a lot to do with why you don't see something like that around here. That is an amazing dream, though. I would love to see that come to fruition. Well, legally, daycares aren't supposed to not accept you or your child because of their disability, right? Because of the right. ADA. But they do. Because no, I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure because they, do. yeah. they don't know better or they're scared. And as a mom, I'm like, well, I could fight this and tell them they're not in compliance with the ADA and they can't turn me down unless they give us, you know, an actual mm -hmm. chance and blah, blah, blah. There's like all these, you know, re requirements that they're supposed to abide by. But as a mom, I'm like, I'm not going to fight to put my child in a place where they feel uncomfortable watching him. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. How far am I going to take this? Right. Right. I do know that they have special needs, like pediatric daycares in town. And that's great. But it's, um, again, back to that question, is inclusion the right thing? To me, it's just segregation. You know, right. like all the kids with disabilities over here, 
and everybody else over there. And that's just not life. Right. Exactly. There's no other, it is, you know, it shouldn't, well, it shouldn't be exactly. And that's yeah. I mean, when, when we go out into the world, not in school, we see people who look different from us, who are different from us. And that's, that's reality. You know, that's life for sure. And I mean, to be honest, Christina, that's another reason that I love homeschooling Mm -hmm. is because the homeschooling life much more closely resembles life. Life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we, we, in non-quarantine times, we do not spend a lot of time just at home, contrary to the name homeschooling. We are actually out and about in the community a lot and interacting with lots of different groups of people who look different, act different, speak different, are different from us. And that is the beauty of it is that I can kind of curate the groups of people that I want my kids to be influenced by. Mm-hmm. And I can make that as diverse as I want. You know, I can take them to cultural events. I can take them to different, you know, just whatever you can think of that's available in the community is, yeah. is available to them as homeschoolers. And, and luckily so, there's so much here. I mean, and like there's said, so in- much, there, there's too much, there's too much here. There's yeah. too much actually. Um, there, and, and when you get into the world of homeschooling and you start to you like join the Facebook groups and things like that, people are posting events multiple times a day. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't do all of this. There's too, there's too much. There's so many fun things that look amazing. And I'm an extrovert. I'm a total social person. So I want to go to all the things and I want to join all the groups. And I'm like, I can't, we have to stay home and learn how to read at some point. You're like, read this festival map. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This week we'll be doing jazz fest school. Yeah. So speaking of being able to kind of curate who your children are around. I, I feel like I remember Paul writing something about you, um, this glowing review of his like super woman <laughs> wife and how you had taken in a refugee family. Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to use any names, but I yeah. can definitely speak about that experience. Um, they never came into our home, just to, so you know. They weren't, um, at least not in terms of like living with us. They've been over here. So I did it through Catholic Charities, which is the only refugee resettlement agency in New Orleans. And so if anyone ever wants to volunteer and work with refugees, that's who you go through is Catholic Charities. I did not know that. Yeah. So I went through Catholic Charities and you you just do like a little training with them and then they set you up with a family. Um, And so in my case, um, the family that I was working with is a family with uh, seven children ages 22 at the time to down to a baby. Um, they were from Syria and they had come to the U S well, so they had spent four years in a refugee camp in Jordan and it was very traumatic experiences just all around for everyone. Um, from the time they left Syria through all of that, that they had to deal with in Jordan. Their second to youngest child was actually born in the refugee camp in Jordan. And she is the one child who really struggles the most out of all of their kids. And so they had their older kids are are now like middle school, high school, and then the two oldest are grown. Um, 
and they're all doing fine. They've all adjusted well and are handling life and are doing well in school. The, the, the daughter who was born in the refugee camp is, is the one who's struggling. She, she really struggles, um, with like, she has speech problems. She has like emotional problems and different things like this. And I really wonder if it's because of the stress oh, during pregnancy, the stress, you know, the stress that her poor mother had to go through mm-hmm. fleeing a war zone and being pregnant and then yeah, giving I birth. Yeah, I can't imagine those circumstances. No, it's, it's unimaginable. And then giving birth in a refugee camp. I, what did that look like? I can't even wrap my mind around what that looked like. Birth is hard enough in a mm-hmm. fancy hospital in a first world country. It's hard enough, yeah. you know? And I can't even imagine what that must have been like for her and for her child and who knows what the nutrition was like and just everything. So I really think that that's a large part of why um, this girl struggles so much. And then they're young. Then once they finally got to the U S they had their last baby and he seems to be doing fine. He seems to be completely on track developmentally and is doing perfectly fine. So that's, that's, I guess why I think that, um, you know, her struggles are probably due to the circumstances of her pregnancy and birth. Yeah. The trauma exactly. And just, oh my gosh, all that stress that her mother went through. Yeah during that time. I mean, kids, but, are, they're sponges, those babies, you know, they, yeah. it's, it's hard to think about and, and to wrap your head around it because they're so little and you think, you think that maybe they won't remember or whatever, but there, there's trauma there yeah, for sure. And I know at least with, you know, kids with medical issues who have been in hospitals a lot, you know, I see it with Oscar, like that's, you know, just, white coat syndrome you know I can't even imagine what that little girl like just Mm -hmm. what her body remembers you know right Right. exactly exactly I mean it's I'm sure she doesn't remember it like she can't recall it but it's there it's in her cells her her life story you know exactly and it's and it's in her cells it's in her implicit memory you know there's some part of her brain that does remember it and is holding on to that so um she definitely struggles. And a lot of the work that I did with them was, was working with her and trying using, using what I know as a early childhood specialist to kind to try and work with her. Um, but the main goal of the refugee mentor is to just help your family transition into life here in the U S because, um, even coming here as you know, regular immigrant, it's hard. It's hard to transition when you don't know the language and when you don't know, you know, how to apply for Medicaid and how do I, you know, navigate this whole school system and things like that. So I was just, I was acting as like their, um, liaison, sort of. yeah, the liaison. And so if they, you know, needed to set up an appointment, I would call up the office to set up an appointment for them. And a lot of times all that entailed was getting someone on the phone that I could ask for a translator and then, you know, pass the phone to them. Cause I want to empower them right. to, be, to do as much for themselves as possible. Um, but when you don't even, when you go to your mailbox and get your mail and you can't even tell if this is a bill that I have to pay, or if this is some scam and junk mail, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's There's just so much that they have to process when they get here. 
and it's a long, it's a long road. So I sorted a lot of mail for them. <laughs> I would, you know, tell them we, that became one of our inside jokes. Actually, they learned, they learned the word junk really easily. Cause I was like, that's junk. That's junk. That's junk. And then, and he would just rip it. He, it was so funny. He would just be like, junk, junk, junk. And he learned that really, really fast. And then eventually I was like, Oh wait, no, that's your water bill. You have to pay that one. You know? <laughs> But it's like, how, you know, how can you, if you, if you've never seen mail in this country, how do you know the difference between your water bill and some credit card that you really shouldn't sign up for, you know? Um, but the other thing is there's so many, you know, credit cards that they get offered. Right. And so he, he's thinking, he sees, you know, the big $500 and he's like, I want $500. And I'm like, no, you don't want that $500. <laughs> you know, trust me, this is not going to be good for you. And he's like, but I need the money. And I'm like, yeah. I know me too, but you don't want that $500. Right. So, um, I mean, I, I guess I always, you know, I'd hear about scams and things like that. And I was like, who are these people that are signing up for this scam? Well, now I know right. it's people oh, no. like this who legit don't know any better and are getting preyed on. Yeah. So it's, um, that was a big, that was a big learning experience for sure. But it was, it was a wonderful experience. I still keep in touch with the family. Um, I haven't been able to see them in a while because of the quarantine, but I still keep in touch with them. Um, and they're just absolutely the most lovely people. And it's, it, it was an honor to get to work with them. That's so amazing that you did that. And thank you for sharing um, the appropriate channels to do that for anyone who's listening and might be interested. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit um, because I know your husband, Paul, who's a drummer and a musician, does he participate in homeschooling? Um, what does it look like for a family unit when you're homeschooling at home? And how does that, how do you balance all that as a family? Yeah, well, it, it's a process. It's been an evolution for sure. Um, but he's very involved. He's very actively involved. Um, I've kind of always been the one who's like in charge of any curriculum that we might do and he definitely has deferred to me on a lot of those decisions because I'm the one who's put in the time researching and I'm the educator and things like that so I appreciate that he trusts me to make the best decisions in that regard um I'm the one who you know did like the, the teaching the skills so the in the reading and the writing and the math and things like that but um he's constantly reading with our kids. He's constantly playing with them. He's constantly helping them with whatever silly science experiments they want to do or, oh, and he takes them places all the time, pre-COVID, <laughs> takes them places all the time um, to go have amazing experiences. And I, I count all of that as homeschooling. Yeah. Um, I think if he were here, he would say he doesn't do any homeschooling because, <laughs> because he's really humble and doesn't you know, necessarily like see the things that he does. Um, but I think everything, I count it all as homeschooling because he, you know, every time he reads a book with the kids, every time he goes out and plays with them or, you know, teaches them a new skill, you know, he takes Sebi fishing, he takes them on bike rides. To me, that's all part of it. That's 100% yeah. all part of it. So he's very much an active hands-on homeschool dad. It sounds like, like, it's just, fun. Yeah. It's you know, very, it's very fun. I wonder, you know, what, what our world would look like if kids just had more just fun and associated learning, uh, anything skills, 
music, uh, reading, writing as, you know, you get to do this versus right. we have to do this. Right. Um, and I would, when I used to teach piano lessons, I would tell my kids, don't practice. I was like, go play, go play right. your piano, you know, right. like, right. Right. To do that, you get to, you know, take a break from whatever homework assignment you're doing, like go play. Yeah. You know? And some of the called didn't play. Like that. Yeah. Some of the parents didn't like that. They're like, no, they have to practice. I'm like, no, I get that. Right. <laughs> like, sh- just call it playing. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to shift the mentality here. Absolutely. I mean, especially with music, it's like, gosh, no, don't, you don't have to do this. You get to do this. This yeah. is an amazing, beautiful thing. Don't, don't make this another one of your chores that you have to check off. I mean, I feel like I feel the same way about reading. I love to read. I'm an yeah. avid reader. And so I'm like, this is, you get to just sit here and read. Yeah. I want to just sit there and read. That's yeah. all I want to do. That sounds amazing. You know? <laughs> well, I, I want to ask you because part of my mission with INTC is to connect um, modern women and mothers through uh, storytelling, advocacy, that sort of thing. And um, I want to know your definition of what it means to be a modern woman and a modern mother. Wow, what a good question. Um, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> there is no right or wrong answer. I'm just wondering what that means to you. Sure. What it means to me is that there's no right or wrong answer. You can, <laughs> yeah. you can be a mom by being your true authentic self. You don't have to try to be someone else. You don't have to try to fit a mold. You don't have to, you know, do the things that look like what your, you know, ideal of a mom is. You know, we don't have to wear an apron and heels and bake cakes every day, (laughs) unless you want to. I mean, if you want to do that, then that's great. And, you know, um, and I know that there are, there are, I know women who that's what they want to do. And I'm like, great, do it. I like baking cakes, but I don't like doing it in heels. So I'll bake a cake <laughs> and I'm just going to do it in my house slippers. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it means to me. Um, you can do it. You can do, you can be a modern mom. However you are a woman, however you are a human, however you are a person. And that's what it means. There's no right or wrong. There's no one size fits all. Some really beautiful advice that someone gave me when I was pregnant with my first child was that there are a million ways to be a good mom and very few ways to be a bad mom. And so just, you know, free yourself to think of the possibilities. Um, Most of us are not bad moms. Most of us are good moms. And that, you know, and there's a million different ways to do that that are all as unique as each of us are. I love that quote. Yeah. I think we get caught up in like, I'm a bad mom if I don't do this, or I'm, I'm a bad mom if I do this. And it's like, no, because there's so many different things that you could be doing or not doing. There's no way any one person could do all the things. Right. Just do the things that resonate with you. Do the things that are, that are within your capabilities and you're good. Yeah. That's I all love you have you're to do. so like nonchalant about just life. I love <laughs> it. You're like so confident about 
like maybe you don't see it this way but like how it comes across like to me objectively is like you're this woman like you know what you're doing you know what you're capable of what you're not capable of you're totally okay with it Mm -hmm. and you're just like and that's just how it is and (laughs) and like you're right you're so right how are you so at peace with that (laughs) you're so at peace and like self-aware and I think it shines through even through the screen which I wish we could see you in person and be doing this interview in person and do our kinder music in person but we're doing it through the screen and it's just so like like I just feel calm and like confident talking to you. And I oh my know. gosh, that is such a huge compliment. Thank you, Christina. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I will I'm sure say, the kids feel that too, you know, and I, which I love. I hope so. I mean, I will say it. Ha- I have not always felt that way. I had, um, you know, plenty of moments, especially when, when Sebi was a baby where I was like, I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea if I'm doing this right. And then again, I had a a lot of those feelings come up again when we first started homeschooling because you delve into the world of homeschooling blogs and following people on Instagram and everything. And you're like, oh, she's doing it like that. And she's doing it like that. I have to do all of this stuff. And then you slowly start to realize, okay, that stuff looks great on Instagram and maybe it works for her. But when I tried to do it at my home, it was a complete fail. So should I do it? Right. No. No, I should not. And then, you know, you just, through the process of doing, you start to realize what does work for you and really leaning into the things that do work is super empowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just not forcing right. anything. And that's just like my whole motto in life. It's like, if you have to force it, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Exactly. Exactly. It's totally not worth it. And especially with kids. And I think my son taught me a lot of those lessons because he is the kind of person that if I try to force it, he pushes back even harder. And so if, if something like, for example, with him learning to ride a bike, I really, I truly believe he would have learned how to ride a bike a lot earlier if my dad had not been so pushy about it (laughs) (laughs) my dad really wanted him to ride a bike and was like pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and I I was just like dad please like please back off because I could just see my son pushing back and pushing back further and further and further until it was like he didn't even want to go anywhere near the bike yep now he does but it was you know it was like I had to undo a lot of that pressure and a lot of that pushing so for sure don't like anything that feels super forced and doesn't feel natural and doesn't resonate with who I am as a person, I'm not going to, I mean, I might think about it. I think, you know, we should be, we should be open because we're all constantly changing, but um, yeah, there's no reason to force anything because there's, there's so many options of how to, of how to live your life. So why do something that's not working? Because there's something else out there that will work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. You're just like, yeah. And that's that, Christina. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, don't force it. That's the that's the that's the main lesson here. Don't force yes. it. If it's if it's if it's right and it's right in the universe and it's right for you, it will happen. Right. Yep, and it's so true. And it's something I've seen with my own son where we were trying to force him to 
take a bottle and eat by mouth. And it turned out he had the pediatric feeding disorder and now has a feeding tube. And I was so stressed out and it's like the best thing that ever happened. Right. Right. It's nutrition and he, he grows and develops on his own time. Yes. Yes. With life. I'm just like, okay, if we could, we all could take a lesson from that. You know? Oh my gosh. I, every time I see him on the class, I, my heart just lifts out of my body. He is such, and again, like you were saying, like even through the screen, like that, his joy in oh, yeah. life. He's and it's like, boy. <laughs> we start singing, we start singing the hello song and his face just completely lights up. And I'm, like, I, I'm going to cry. Like I think about, Aww. like, it's so beautiful and really again, like COVID is not a good thing, but it has definitely taught us a lot of lessons and has brought up so many things. And the fact that you guys have been able to participate in my classes has really opened my eyes and has really opened my mind to the possibility that this, this could be a thing that I do. You know, at some point I would love to reopen my studio again and have people in, in person, but this could also be another thing I do. Right. You know, another part of our studio doing the classes online for people who can't or don't want to come into the studio for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And that that's a viable thing. And I don't know what the word is, but like the whole world has kind of opened up because of this. And there's more possibilities now. And I'm seeing, I think a lot of people maybe are going through this process, but I'm seeing that just because I did something one way doesn't mean that that's the only way or the way that I have to keep doing it. Right. You know, the, this whole process of quarantine and it's holding to, up a mirror to ourselves and our society. Absolutely. And I think it like we can, we have the choice. Do we go back to the way things were or do we take this as an opportunity to learn and grow and come into something that might be even more beautiful? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a chance to take stock and say, was I doing that because that's the way I've always done it? Or was I doing it because it's the right thing to do and it's the right. way that it should be? Right. Have I been forcing my life to, to look like this yeah. instead of accepting it and allowing it to take shape the way? Right. 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 Like you could think of it like a puzzle mm-hmm. and you had, you know, maybe as a teenager or a young 20 something put the puzzle together in a certain way. And it, it looked good. And then something came along and just like completely upended your entire puzzle. And now you're in your 30s or 40s or where, however old you are now. And you have a chance to put the puzzle back and you could put it back in the same way. Or you could put it back a little differently and be like, oh, wait, this piece actually fits better over here. Yeah. Let's try to rearrange it a little bit. So it, it's an opportunity. I'm, I'm really, really, really trying to look at this as an opportunity for growth instead of a thing we have to get through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think of all the times when Oscar was sick and in the hospital, even, you know, and he would be there for a week and I'm like, we, we could totally have still, you know, attended classes like at a certain point, you know, when he wasn't on oxygen or or even when, you know, even when he was, yeah. Even when he had the cannula in his nose, like he would, he would be awake and like the only thing to do was to watch the TV. Right. You know, and like, so why not make it something that's interactive yeah. and educational? Yeah. yeah. And they do like, I'm not, they do have child life um, services at the hospital with, but you never know like what their schedule is like and right. and 
how many people are in that day. So you may or, you know, it's kind of like you may or may not, or they come in and your kid's taking a nap or getting an x-ray or whatever. But, but it's like, what's been interesting is people are like, oh, he's grown so much in the past year. I'm like, yeah, well, in the past year, he hasn't been in the hospital, which means he hasn't, you know, missed his therapies or, um, you know, had to take a break from, you know, the amount of food he was eating or whatever, you know, like, right, it, right. It all goes hand in hand. And I'm like, I don't know. I just think of, of all the things that, um, could be done virtually, even if, even for kids who, you know, I mean, there's lots of kids that have to be in the hospital for all kinds of reasons. Like they could even benefit from, from that. Absolutely. And one thing that that makes me think of is like, you know, a kid who has to go into the hospital, if they were already used to doing a virtual class with a teacher that they've developed a relationship with, being in the hospital and having that same routine, having that same that person, novelty. yeah, hearing that same familiar song and doing those same activities is going to be just incredibly beneficial mm -hmm. for that kid to have that sense of normalcy. I mean, really that, that providing that sense of normalcy and routines and a familiar face was the main motivating factor that I had in getting my classes up online as fast as possible, because I was like, oh my gosh, these kids that I'm used to seeing every week in my studio, their lives have been completely upended. Everything is crazy now. Their parents are stressed. Everything is different. I have to give them that one little nugget of normalcy. And so I, I got my, that's something I'm actually really proud of is that I got my classes up online so quickly that I never missed a week. I didn't wow. miss a, like, I didn't miss a single class throughout all of that. Um, and so I think that that, yeah, that sense of normalcy and having those same routines and structures that you can do this class now from anywhere. And so if you have to, you know, go out of town for whatever reason, or if you have to go into the hospital for whatever reason, or just anything, you can still provide that. Mm -hmm. You can still provide that familiar structure. Yeah. Well, Madeline, I could talk to you all day long. I know this has been <laughs> so much fun. We'll have to um, do another virtual coffee date and maybe brainstorm of our dream uh, inclusive early learning program. I will definitely teach kinder music at that place. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time and for talking with me today. I, I'm so excited about this conversation and I can't wait to like make my husband listen to it <laughs> so we can talk about homeschooling a little bit more and, and all that. And I, I know that this will be a good conversation that, that people will want to listen to. So I can't wait to put it out into the world. Um, yes. I hope, uh, I hope we'll hear more from you in the INTC space and I hope you have a wonderful day. Tell the family I say hello. I will. And same to yours. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. This is actually my very first podcast ever. Oh, wow. And so I'm totally honored that you invited me on. It was a blast. I loved it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, Christina. Bye. That's all for this episode of It's Not Too Complicated or INTC, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Madeline. I know I did. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. And until next time, have a wonderful day.